Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be A-OK. everyone. New episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday, and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. It was when she and Tom Schumacher at Disney flew me out to read for their animated film, Chicken Little, that I found out that I was pregnant with Georgia. Welcome, confessions of a casting director author, Jen Rudin. A-OK. everyone. I am here today with casting director and author of Confessions of a Casting Director, Jen Rudin. As a former child actor, Jen has participated in almost every aspect of show business, including being a talent agent, a studio exec, a producer, a casting director, and as a writer for TV, film, and theater. After 30 years in show business, this is a woman with stories to tell and advice to give. You were... A studio casting executive at Disney, you've always been the go-to person for discovering new talent, and I thought that since so many of my listeners are actors, or people who clearly love actors and are interested in what goes on behind the scenes in the world of casting, you, Jen Rudin, could pull back the curtain a bit and maybe, for my listeners, just demystify the process a little bit. Yes. So welcome, yes. Jen Rudin, so to, to be here. the demystifying episode <laughs> of Little Known Facts. So I think, obviously, the main thing everybody wants to know is, like, how do I get a job? But there are steps involved in that process, and I thought that maybe we could cover some of the things that your book covers magnificently in great detail, chapter after chapter. 
I've been someone who's been acting for a hundred years, and it's just as useful for me as it will be for my son, who's ten and is now interested in acting. Absolutely. So, you know, I started writing the book when I was still on staff at Disney because I was traveling at that point around the country doing auditions for the replacement for Ariel and the Little Mermaid, and every single young woman who walked into the room, and I'm talking 600 people in open calls in 10 cities, there was something I wanted to offer in terms of some really quick feedback and advice that would have made the audition better. So I started taking notes. That's a great And Tom idea. Schumacher was my boss at Disney, who I'm sure you know. Yes. And I said, I've got to write this book because there's not enough time in the audition to actually be able to help and give feedback that's constructive. And it starts with like what you're wearing and how you walk into the room and all that stuff. So he said, absolutely, you must write this book. And I started taking notes and detailing my chapters. And then there's actually a chapter on musical theater, a chapter on voiceover, a chapter on commercials, a chapter on YouTube and going viral and uh, film and TV because they're very different types of auditions. But the bottom line is every actor has to audition Unless you're born. Right. And that's what the show has pointed out that, like, whether you're Cynthia Nixon or just out of drama school, that we're still auditioning. And it's one of the most stressful things that an actor has to go through. I was a child actress from age 8 to 17, and I hated auditions because I felt like I was nervous, I was being judged, and the hardest part for me was after I finished the audition, letting go and getting on with your day. I would pray to God every night. I would be lying in bed going, please, 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 I want to get this baloney commercial, and it's very hard. God really listens to that. (laughs) And and then God would say, why should I listen to you, Jen? You only talk to me when you're flying through turbulence and when you want something, so why should I help? But auditions are really tricky. And the biggest advice I can offer is preparation. And that means figuring out if the audition's at 2 o'clock on Tuesday, and now it's Monday at 5 p.m. and you just got the audition. What are the steps you have to take in order to show up on Tuesday with your face on, your personality intact, your scene prepared? What do you have to do? How are you going to get to the city if you have children? Who's going to take the kids so that you don't bring them to the audition waiting room? How am I going to do my homework if you're a young actor and still make it to the audition? So preparation is so key. And it's basic. And yet every single time you have an audition, you have to go back to that list and say, how am I going to get there? What am I going to wear? And how do I prepare for this audition? So when you go back, even just using the example of Ariel, I believe you said 6,000? 600. 600. <laughs> 600. Well, it cities. felt like 6,000. <laughs> what are the sort of common positives and things that you've seen that derail people one after another that you're like, oh my God, if I taught a class, I would start everyone with... Sure. Let's start with a negative because okay. uh, because I've seen it. Let's get it out of the way. Yeah. So there's actually, and for the listeners, there are some YouTube clips that HarperCollins produced when the book came out. So if you if you Google on YouTube, Jen Rudin Confessions of a Castrator, there's like an audition do's and don'ts great. segment that's hilarious. It's a great video. Uh, I think that the big don'ts is that I see a lot of people coming in with all their baggage, right? And by that, I mean literal and figurative. So when you walk into that audition room from the second you walk in, you are at a job interview. And I can spot crazy, messy, hungover, uh, all this stuff from the second you walk in. I interned for Meg Simon, who's a wonderful cast director in college, and she said she can tell in the first 10 seconds how they're going to be in the room. I can tell in the first instant whether or not this person has their life together or not. So when you come in and you're bringing in your boots and you're you're schlepping your bags and you've got all this stuff and then you drop it and you start talking about how awful the subway was and I just got the script last night, but what I read I really liked. I mean, you just sort of bring in all this negative energy. All right. I have a really yes. good question for you. 
I can't believe you're here and I get to ask you this because I'm very good at leaving my personal, like my literal baggage and personal baggage outside. Although sometimes when you know you can land something funny, I always say if there's an opportunity to be funny, take it, but don't force it. However, often when we are asked to audition for a part where the character has an accent, and it is very obvious that I, Alana Levine from Teaneck, New Jersey, I'm not from Liverpool, but the character that I am reading for is a liver puddlian? Is mm-hmm. that what you call them? Often the producer or director or the lovely casting director will be chatting with you a little bit. And something that I realized my friends and I will still talk about this during the chit chat when your character that you're about to play is so different from you. It's really hard. Yeah. You know, it's hard because I'm one of those people. I'm very outgoing and I know, oh my God, Alana, I love your glasses. You look so great. I love what you're wearing. I also distract people when they come into my audition room. And that's my, that's a problem that I have. And I shouldn't because you've just done all this preparation. You've got this accent in your head and you should just really come in and say, hi, Alana, let's go. We'll do a quick slate and let's, let's dive right in. So that's really hard. You have to, of course, you want to say hello back and be friendly. But at some point, the chit chat does have to end. I once said to an actor, you look fantastic. You you lost how much thirty pounds, and he proceeded to tell me all about his gastric bypass surgery. <laughs> Here and twenty minutes later, I thought, now I've distracted this actor. I have way too much information, so it's a it's a bit my own fault. So you want to say hello, of course, but you also want to just keep it focused. Same thing in the waiting room. There's an entire chapter in Confessions of a Casting Director about the politics of the waiting room because we do it to ourselves. Alana, how are you? You look so great. Oh my God, I heard you and all this distraction right. that can happen when I just want to say hi. But what I've really done is made you feel bad about yourself for some reason. So this is actor-to-actor sabotage. Yes, actors do it to themselves. We do it to the actors, too. But it's very hard because when you're in a casting session all day from 10 to 6 and there are 60 people coming in, of course I want to say hello and I want to chit-chat. So it's tough. You have to say hello and then you have to kind of politely start the audition. Hello. Hello. the morning, Jen? Yes, and do your best Mary Poppins dick on Jake. I'm often auditioning for Bert in Mary Poppins. And why they gave it to Lin-Manuel Miranda when it could have been me, I don't know. So there's also the thing of like when you're starting out, you're told whatever you wore to the audition, where did the call back? Which I always think is funny. Like, I hope they can still remember me because that shirt's in the dry cleaners. Do you think that's true? Should I, you wear the same I, thing? I think it's really important to spoon feed as much as you can. I think I booked my bologna commercial in 1984 <laughs> because my pink Oshkosh jumper that I hated, they actually, I wore it to the callback. I wore it to the first audition. I think I brought it to the to the shoot. We're seeing so many people and I have a photographic memory, so I'm always going to remember what people are wearing. But most of the time, it's best to remind us and spoon feed that you wore the same dress in In fact, I have an actress friend who went back a year later to audition for the same Broadway show and she wore the same dress. And they said, oh, you're in the same dress. And she couldn't tell if they were being facetious or complimentary. But for her, it was important. She didn't, but... Okay, so we don't know. But I think But the dress is now in the show. You don't want to... You don't want to change too much. So you don't want to change anything too drastically because they obviously somebody, five people, ten people liked your tape or liked you in the room and you want to come back and be able to show them that you can duplicate that, whether it's eight times a week or when you get to the set and you have to film it for real. When I was starting out, when they first started doing talkies and I... (laughs) 
starting out, we would take our headshot and resume. The pictures were black and white at the time. We would staple them together and we would put them under the door of Absolutely. casting directors. Yeah. And you would often, Dan Bukatinsky was on the show and he tells the story of how like, and he would put his face up in the hopes that before they threw it out, either they'd feel a little bit bad or be like, wait a minute, they need a Gabe Kaplan lookalike. <laughs> this is perfect timing. I don't think people are doing that anymore. So how does one use technology to network? Listen, life has really changed. When I was a child actress in the 80s, we had those composites and collar up, collar down, glasses on, glasses off. And now everything, first first what happened is that the headshots became color, which used to be your modeling shot yeah. if you did print. Well, for me, I, I was do. modeling, <laughs> right? yeah. I was not, a, I didn't mm-hmm. have a color shot. Everything is different. And technology, you can use it for good and you can also use it for evil. And so actors really have to be careful. Again, let's talk about the negative. Facebook is a place where you can share photos of your children and photos of your food, but you have to be really careful when you're going to share information about your acting career. For instance, you shouldn't be posting anything official about any role you've gotten unless you've gotten the approval from the producer. You shouldn't post anything even haha funny about auditions. There's one story I share where an actor posted on Facebook, finally have a commercial audition after seven months. Nice to see my agents finally doing their job. Well, he's friends with the agent, the owner of the agency, who saw the post, who promptly called him and said, we're 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 dropping right. you because I know it doesn't matter. It's like sexual harassment. It doesn't matter what the intent was. It's the impact. So in terms of actors, here's what's good. You can use the internet to research. You can use IMDb to find out, oh, I'm auditioning for Jen Rudin. I should look up her credit. Credits. Uh, she worked for Disney Animation, not DreamWorks. So I didn't work on Shrek, but I did work on Chicken Little mm-hmm. and Princess and the Frog and The Incredibles. That's really good. On the flip side, you just you've got to be a professional. So if you're a professional actor, I'm a professional casting director. You want to be professional in your social media profiles and not be posting those crazy. I don't even know. I don't even do Snapchat. What those videos are like because we can just do all this research on an actor and check the stuff out. Now, here's the good stuff. YouTube, people have been discovered on YouTube. People have gotten discovered for TV shows and films and movies through YouTube channels, through posting videos. So in that sense, it's really great. But despite technology, you still can't fake talent. So you might be a huge YouTube star sensation, but if you get into the room to audition for Miss Saigon and you really can't sing, then it doesn't matter how many followers you have because talent is still talent no matter where we are in the the digital world. Um, So it's tricky. On the flip side, I always request that actors bring a hard copy of their photo and resume because I like to feel it. I like to read it. I actually want to see if you went to college. I want to see what your theater credits were. You're an old-fashioned gal. Yeah, I really am. And most people, everything's digital. I do think it's nice to hold something. I know. At auditions lately, I'm still holding my sides. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of people now coming in with iPads. And I don't agree because if it's an on-camera audition, I've had that during pilot season where you're trying to flip your iPad page. It freezes. The reflection is coming up in my camera. I'm all for saving the trees, but I think you need to bring that hard copy. Plus, if I come over to you and I say, Alana, that was great. Let's go back to scene two. And I just want to start, do a quick adjustment with page two. And you're like, oh, hold on. Wait. Oh, now things are ringing on my iPad. It's too distracting. So it's like you want to keep it simple. Even though you should be memorized, of course, still have your sides with you. Well, when you talked about earlier 
you know, you were sort of describing all the things you have to have in place, but we really do, especially during pilot season, we do get a call at sometimes as late as eight o'clock at night for a morning pages. appointment. 13 with pages. 13 pages. And you also happen, like if you're me, your daughter's piano recital is that night, and that's a priority too. What are you supposed to do when you really don't have the time to absorb it properly? And that's it. You have to go in. It's it's really hard. Sometimes at pilot season, I've been hired to work on like six pilots at once. And so I will put the, those calls out where you have to come in 13 pages and she's a hot detective who carries a gun and it's 13 pages of sides. You really do the best you can. You do the best you can. If you're young and you you have a waitressing job, you get somebody to switch shifts and you 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 know don't go out on Tinder that night and you sit there and you learn your lines. If you're now that's being a professional, <laughs> right? yes. But you you try your best and sometimes the worst thing is that you you're given the 13 pages and you walk in and we're seeing these people at nine in the morning because we're shoving that roll in before the 10 a.m. starts. And sometimes you don't get to do all four scenes. You just, you really have to do your best. The thing about being memorized is that people in California, we want them to watch the tape. So in a sense, when you're doing New York casting for a project, I'm like the agent, the advocate. I can't have somebody watch the tape if you're constantly dropping down to your script because people will just go to the next person. So it's gotten even more competitive. And that goes back to technology because now everybody can send in self-tapes and we have these big virtual open calls for stuff where people can send in tapes. So back in our day, you, there were a small group of people going on these auditions. You didn't have access to the sides on the internet. You right. had to go to the your manager's pick office, them up. pick yeah. them up, Xerox them at the bodega, or go to the theater to read the script. You know, I remember doing that. But now everything is digital. So it it means we function faster. We have to upload faster. People in LA are watching faster. To that point, it's eight o'clock on a Monday night. Jen Rudin wants to see me at 9 a.m. I can't be there at 9 a.m. My agent calls Jen and says, are you okay if Alana self-tapes? You say yes. Is there any reason to not do that. I think Will you personally support more the person who came in your office versus the self-tape? I so think being in person is the way to go if it's offered to you. But even in New York now, people want you to self-tape as a first step. I was just casting this web series last week with 10-year-old boys. And when I released the submission, I mean, there's thousands of them. So I had them as a first step send in, hi, my name is, and I ride a bike, and this is my favorite actor, just to, just to see what they look like these days, because as you know, kids change every day yeah. with ages. It's much better to come in in person if you're given that opportunity. If you're self-taping, a lot of times we can see a good actor in the tape, but oftentimes the quality isn't great. The lighting's not good. Whoever's reading, I mean, obviously you're married to an amazing actor, but yes. I often get a lot he'll of... he'll read with me right, and then he'll be like, by the way... Right, is Dominic going to for this? But like, honey, use a different voice, right? Because the the person reading with the the kid usually is is upstaging them. So go in person if you can. And listen, sometimes there's flexibility. Sometimes you can be seen later in the day, and sometimes there's no flexibility. And I always do my best if somebody asks for a change. It just depends on how much time we have. So, do you have a story to share where you saw someone derail? I have run down the hall. If I know an actor well and I've seen them derail and I can turn to the creative group and say, listen, I think he's just having a a tough day. Let me go talk to him. And sometimes if I care and I really Mm -hmm. am advocating, I will run down the hall and say, 
go, as my mother always says, go and go have a cup of coffee and find your personality, you know, go and come back in 20 minutes. Or do you want to come back on a different day? Um, so I've done that for people and I've seen them come back and they're be in their bodies, be in their bodies. And somebody maybe got a migraine or, you know, was nauseous or something. Things happen. So I've I've been able to do that. I think the one. Oh, it's so great. I don't want to share a, a young actor story because we could do a whole podcast on that because it's like making a five year old girl's dream come true. Yeah. You know, it's great. But like she's five. Yeah. Like she's worked 15, so hard yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. for this. Um, I will tell Rahelio Douglas Jr. was uh, this is a good one where I advocated. I was seeing In the Heights. This is back in 2007. I was seeing it for like the third time. And Chris Jackson ha- was out. He'd been in Mexico and was sick or something. And then Joshua Henry, who was the under- the standby, had just left the show to go do Godspell, which ended up not happening. So they threw on the swing, Rahelio Douglas Jr. I happened to be there. He went on for Benny. And we had been looking for a new Sebastian in The Little Mermaid on Broadway to replace Titus. And we'd seen everybody in the world. And I was there on this rainy Saturday. And here's this guy. And I'm who is this? Who is he? Wow. Why have I never heard of him? He's been in Riverdance. So I went up to him afterwards, gave him my card. He came to see me at Disney Monday. He went through the audition process. And like four days later, I wasn't sure if he was going to get it. It was between him and somebody else who was much more seasoned, had many more Broadway credits. And I looked at my boss, Tom Schumacher, and he said, I'm rooting for the underdog. I, I'm i rooting for him. So that was a great story where I basically said to him on Saturday, you need to call me Monday. And you meant it. And come by and let's have a chat. And I'm not asking about Lion King for you. I'm talking about I'm not. you're not going to be Simba. We need you across the street. Right. So he made it across the street. And he went from, you know, he went from In the Heights to, to the Lundfontaine. And sadly, the show closed. But that's one of those good stories where it's about timing. And I haven't worked for Disney for a long time. But I remember I remember my boss saying at the staff meeting, thank God Jen Rudin's going to the theater. Right. Thank God she's seeing swings and understudies go on. So it's always been fun. I always love to see when the swings and understudies go on because sometimes they're the next in line for these principal roles. So that's a good one. That's a good story. What do you think about – I mean this is a very large question and perhaps an entire other interview. But what do you think about kid actors? Oh, boy. I – you were one. I was one. You know, I like to say I'm a recovered professional child <laughs> actress, meaning you I had great. I, thank you. I had great parents. My dad's a rabbi. My mother was getting people out of religious cults. Was a cult educator at the time. So we were not. We, okay, I want your mother on right, the show. Very, That's an incredible. I, I didn't I, know that was. A I was the one driving it. I right. wanted it, and because I grew up on the Upper East Side, my mother said, "Fine, I'll take you to the auditions." I think even if we lived in New Jersey, she wouldn't have. I think it starts at home, and obviously the child has to want to do it, but there's a huge chapter in the book for stage parents. This book was originally pitched to HarperCollins for parents because I'd conducted hundreds of interviews, and it was fascinating. First of all, just by bringing your child to an audition, the parent is labeled – you know, bad, a bad parent, a stage parent, because they've just even brought them to the audition. So they're enablers. Yeah, it's really hard. You know, when I was 12, I got very close to growing pains and Tracy Gold booked it because she'd had more TV experience. And I was this theater person. And that was the most heartbreaking day of my life. And I was 12. That rejection that I felt nothing has ever compared, not getting into Wesleyan, not I mean, that was real rejection. Like you can feel it right now. Yeah, I can go right back there. And so the highs and lows that you have when you're a child actor, the promise, the possibility, and then the and then not getting it, 
you should be playing soccer. In hindsight, you should be playing soccer and going to birthday parties and having fun. On the flip side, it's such a small window, you know, because you're a mom. It's a small window. So if you have this child who's really talented, maybe they should go to Broadway. When I was married to my first husband, my ex-husband, and I remember a third show we're going to <laughs> I remember do. saying to him and I was at Disney, I was like, we're going to have a child and I'm going to get her the best agent and she's <laughs> going to be going in on all these auditions and of course I work so the ne- and he said, oh, no. And I have to ask myself, would I be like the but craziest you, stage mom? Are you being serious? Was I that was serious. Of, so why? Why The competitive were you nature. That? The competitive nature. Like maybe nature. it didn't work for me but Right, yet, but like- I was so competitive when I was 12. I really was and back to the waiting room, Somebody now it's a therapy session. Somebody <laughs> the tissues tri- are right. Somebody there, tricked me in the waiting room and said, "Oh, hey, let me um go over the scenes with you." And it was this big callback for an off-Broadway play at the American Place Theater, and I really wanted the part. It was 1985, and it was a dark runaway girl, and I was like the funny friend, and I thought this is my chance to prove I'm actually an actress. She completely tricked me, gave me a wrong direction. I went in, and I blew it. So that competitive nature. Is still existent in me as a person. I'm still very competitive with colleagues, and I, I don't like that about myself. But it all came from those years of auditioning, you know, against these other girls. And I always knew that the girls who I was truly happy for when they got the part were my true friends. So whose who's need is being fulfilled? I mean, you want to be a good parent. You also want to make your kids' dreams come true. And, and that's, I think, what a lot of parents are trying to do when they begin to take them into show business. But... Listen, not all child actors end up on on drugs, you know. Many of them, many of my friends that I grew up with, everyone's great. People are doing different things in show business. But the excitement and the money and all those things that could happen to you when you're 12, how do you not get swept away? Who knows what would have happened if I was on Growing Pains? My mother, of course, always says, like, Tracy Gold's on the cover of People magazine. See, that could have been you. And I can't tell if she's giving me a (laughs) compliment (laughs) or if she's saying, thank God it's not you. Right. Thank God. But I do think it all begins with the parents. You know, my mother could have cared less taking me to those auditions. And she always said, let's not get excited until we sign a contract. I only saw her excited once when I was taping an after-school special in Cincinnati. And she had her own hotel room. And she was, was good for you her. know, having fun with the other moms on the set. That was the only time. And when I did an episode of Sesame Street, those were the two times in my childhood where I saw her, like, really excited. Because she had a career and she had a family and a husband. And so... What do you love about casting? Oh, it's so fun when you get to make that call to the agent and say, like, they're getting an offer or they're going to be in this animated movie. or you and, and it's not about the fact that you're making an actor money, although that's always nice to know, like, you helped them. And the kid who's in The Incredibles, um, Spencer Fox, you know, he, he was 11 when we cast him. And he, you know, he did the movie. He did all the toys. He did all the stuff. And he came to see me years later when he was on his way to college. And I said, I hope you remember, like, I was the casting director. He's like, yeah, thank you. And, you know, I thank you so much. So you when you can make somebody's dreams come true, that's the great day. When Anika Noni Rose, when I got to be on the conference call with William Morris and her agents that she was going to be the princess and the princess and the frog after after auditioning against Alicia Keys and Beyonce and all those, Jennifer Hudson, that she got the part fair and square, that she was truly the most qualified with the singing right. and the acting. Being on the phone, that was the moment. Then she came up and we, you know, we saw each other and hugged in person. Those are the great days. I just want to say that as someone who's had the great fortune of coming into your room to audition over the years for all sorts of projects, from voiceover work to to plays to films to television shows, your love of actors 
is really a feeling that permeates the room. And not everybody does that. Thank you. And maybe it's because you're a rabbi's daughter. (laughs) So you have a great soul. Maybe because you yourself are a performer at heart and you know how hard it is. I care. Somebody call me like cast director for the people. So thank you. Thank you on behalf of all of us who feel like we're talented when we leave your room, regardless of whether we get the job. I've been really thrilled to be able to say that to you out loud so that I can say it publicly because it's really true. I adore you. You're very talented. Anyway, Jen Rudin, thank you for being on our very special casting director episode of Little Known Facts. Thrilled to have you. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.